Welcome back, family, to Set for Life of Pastor George. So, Michelle, we were talking about and other things about large cases. Was there any other ones that were pretty large that were that involved real estate? Because we also see about I know it's it, it, different things in the area of SEC, but also what about an area of real estate? Were there some also some cases that were large in that area? Yeah. So actually, we continue, especially in our region in Los Angeles, we see a lot of real estate related offering frauds where the investment that's being pitched is to, you know, invest in this real estate enterprise and the promoter is going to invest in a bunch of properties and develop them and flip them. And some of them, you know, some of those types of investments, of course, are legitimate, um, but a lot of them are not. And a lot of them, maybe they don't start out to be a Ponzi scheme. But over time, they turn out to be one because maybe they're running into problems. They're not as lucrative. So they start um, then using new investor money to keep the existing investors happy. They loan monies between and among all the different entities they have. So that continues to be a problem that we see. And then I think when you're mentioning real estate, um, you're probably referring back to a lot of the frauds um, that were relevant when there was the credit crisis. So, oh, yeah. for instance, um, the SEC brought a case against Countrywide and its former CEO. And some of um, the actions that were relevant to countrywide really weren't within the um, Securities and Exchange Commission's um, domain, the actual underlying mortgages. But the action that the SEC did bring is that the company itself was making a lot of false statements yes. and misrepresentations about the viability and the prospects of the company, not really highlighting the risk to shareholders that if interest rates started going up, that what that was going to do to all these underlying loans and when the credit froze, um, right. the company essentially suffered huge losses. Right. So can I just tell you how as community leaders, yes. and I'm talking to everybody here, this community leader in all these areas, how we can work together is, do you know that we knew about the fraud or we knew about this early? So what happens is we do seminars every, every week and everybody in the chat, type in when you think I'm not telling you. Remember by Englewood. We had uh, seniors, I'm sorry, people more mature. See that? I see I'm being nice. So we had people that were more mature, seniors. Let's just cut across the field. They would come to us and sit down to us and say, we want to go over our, we go, we teach class called budgeting. And also you guys, you know, we teach a class called do good. It's called get out of debt. We teach this class. Women came in, women and men came and sat down in our classes and they said, hey, you know, my daughter told me that I could go get a loan. And my mortgage would go down and they give me $80,000. And my daughter said, give me 30 and I'll move out. And then you'll have $50,000 to fix up your house and your mortgage. And they said, and your payments will go down. So now I'm like, now, you know, that doesn't make any mathematical sense. So what I'm describing to you, as you know, is a negative amateurized loan. But see, they were never explained risk. And they were never saying that, hey, you know, by the way, your mortgage is actually getting higher. You know, most cases about a thousand dollars. It was actually getting higher. And I don't think it was being explained to people properly. So do you see the part about doing your research, understanding it and walking through that and in doing those areas? Anything else you'd like to add to anything else about just in those areas that would be helpful to people that they make sure that they want to make sure that they do? 
No, again, well, also um, when you're making investments to understand, you know, we talked about this initially, what are your goals? What is your risk tolerance? Um, how old are you? Um, how much time do you have to save? So all of those different factors go into, you know, whether you want to make an investment. But first and foremost is really understanding the investment. And to your point, on some of those mortgages, um, there were dates by which then the interest rate would get reset. And when it was going up a lot more than anyone, you know, than those folks thought was going to happen, um, their payments skyrocketed. And I'm sorry, I get, I get so mad. I get some distance of two things. It's the, it's the seniors. And when you guys mess with people in the military, it was everybody. Kids, seniors, it's, it's everybody, I think. But it was just that when people are coming in saying they make $1,500, a month, and then they're going to take their mortgage out. Like you understand that it's going to exceed that. So I don't even know how people qualify for those things. So you always want to make sure everyone that you're telling people the right things and you're doing the right things. Now I'm back to the questions again. So if you do fraud and if you do these things and you get caught by the people, then what are some of the penalties that people, the other one, I don't know what the size, you have to kind of tell me the size, you know, was a, was a million dollar company, the, the one that was doing the, what was the size, what, what are the size, what are the penalties? Yeah, so the size in the Ponzi scheme I, uh, scheme I described where the individual claimed to have all these deals with um, movie companies, um, close to a billion dollars was raised uh, a by billion, investors. Like with a B, with a, a B. B, billion. With a B. Um, and the, uh, most of that money went back to other investors in the form of Ponzi payments. Um, so what the SEC can do is um, we can go into court and try to stop something when it's ongoing. We can get an asset freeze if there's some money or assets left to get them frozen. We also, when we can recover money, have a way to try to return the money to investors. We can get money penalties from somebody, an individual or a company they charge. But what the SEC cannot do is put people in jail. We're not a criminal law enforcement agency. We're a civil law enforcement agency. But what we do often do is if when we see conduct that clearly rises to potential criminal level, we can refer it to the criminal authorities, to the FBI, to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And then oftentimes we will work in parallel with the criminal authorities um, and bring our respective cases oh, together. Yeah. When, you show, when you show people show them at the door and they open up and everything so they can still crack on you. I, I'm sorry. We're in Inglewood. We're in Inglewood. I'm sorry. You can still enforce the law on them. OK. In doing that. But that is that is very helpful so that people know that they can come back. And by the way, you said you don't put people in jail. But just so you know, when you freeze somebody's assets, everybody right now, if they froze everything in your bank account and all your investments, it'd be worse than going to jail. At least the jail is going to get something to eat or something. So you understand that's that's very equivalent, um, freezing everything and doing it. You know, I know that sometimes people come and they kind of target certain groups like churches, fraternities, sororities. And then I'm not going to get mad now. Our our military or just different groups. So how do you handle that type of fraud or what do you call that? 
Yeah, so um, we call those affinity frauds, and just like you explained, Pastor George, them, those fraudsters target um, people that have something in common and often where there's relationships of trust. So we have seen frauds um, perpetrated against military, seniors, uh, sometimes local churches, mosques, synagogues, uh, the Amish community, the Orthodox Jewish community, the Christian community. Um, and so, and sometimes actually in those communities, the person who's then trying to solicit more investors has been a victim themselves. But what makes it very um, challenging sometimes for the regulators is it can be a closed community and there's a lot of trust. And so even if maybe an investor who's part of the community is a little bit suspicious. They're very reluctant to come forward for fear of bringing shame or embarrassment to the community, to themselves. And so sometimes what can be a challenge on the SEC side is the investors who have been defrauded, they're reluctant to cooperate. So then we're challenged in getting the evidence um, to be able to actually bring the action against the yeah. real, you know, mastermind or promoter behind the fraud. Right. Um, and so that is a very challenging and sadly um, ripe area. So I'm going to ask you a question. So, so, in other words, like what you're saying is if it was a church, if someone was an usher, and then I was, can we go back to the Christmas tree? Sure. So if we went back to Christmas tree and then he got other ushers or to invest and they lost their money, they say, well, he's been an usher for 10 years. I don't want to. Put him in. So you're saying they just don't report it? They don't report it or they won't cooperate. That's um, okay. And sometimes, you know, just because there's that trust, like, you know, well, Pastor George is invested in this thing. And like he said, it's doing really well. And so then people are assuming, well, if the pastor invested, then like this must be fine. But, you know, the pastor might have been defrauded. Right. That's, you know, so interesting is. If you ever notice, everyone, whenever I get up, whenever I do a seminar, one of the things I do, I always use the disclaimer up front. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm just using that or I'm just teaching here today and doing that. We always do that. And and, uh, and, and, and no one's why, immune. I mean, right. teachers have been uh, targeted. Federal employees um, Federal have employees. been targeted. How do they do that to the military? How do you do that? I mean, but, no, but how do you how how is it? perpetrated like how do they uh they'll go uh you know hang out near a military base they get names and lists and they target just like a lot of us at the sec and i was one of them we got you know a mailing to we have a thrift savings plan which is like the federal government analog to a um, 401k type thing to take our money out of our TSP account and roll it over into one of their investments. So these lists exist somewhere or especially with, you know, all the data that is online, online. Um, I think there's ways that people target certain communities. Um, what is a way for people not to be scammed? So if they're going to invest money, let's just say brand new, and you're saying, what are some things they should do to set themselves up for success to be an investor? 
What should they do? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there's a lot in there to unpack. So again, first, you know, what are your objectives? How old are you? Where are you in life? So for instance, um, I think most people are familiar with compound interest, right? So that is when your money works for you and then kind of exponentially because then you keep getting interest on the interest from the underlying. Um, money you put in. So if you start to invest very early in your life, then over time that will build a lot greater than if you started investing at age, you know, 55 or 60. Um, then there's also um, diversifying right. what you want to invest in and allocating your right. investment, i.e., right. you know, some of the don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. It's going to go on, but I just want to make sure that you guys are getting that. So the first thing is we're looking at our investments. We're saying how are we, we're going to invest, understanding our goals. Remember, that's one of the first things we talk about. Set a goal. So the, when she said goals, goals are like. I want to retire. I want to open up a business. I want to have these goals. So we're walking through what the goals are and we're doing that. So then what do we do next? Yes. I'm, I'm so now you have ready. your goals. No. Excellent question. Then you become made aware of an investment opportunity. Do your research. So again, investor.gov. Go on that website. You can type in the name of the financial advisor, the um, broker, the promoter who is, you know, soliciting your investment or who you've heard about and you reached out to, type their name in there. Learn more right. about them. Or you what? just may want to, or just when you said investment advisor, I'm sorry, I got it. So investment advisor. So one thing you may want to do is, is get, look at investment advisors, like maybe look at one or two and then you can look up their, their information, then maybe sit down and have a meeting with them. And then find out, then then also look up the information and then look at the investments and make sure they're doing with what you just said, right? That you have a diversified portfolio. They have your goals. Also, I think another thing that people should do with an investment advisor is this. Ask them what type of clients they work with. A lot of times there's a financial advisor. I know a lot of guys say, we don't work with you unless you have a million dollars. So if you don't have a million dollars, then no, they're not paying. That That's not a good fit. So you want to find an advisor that's a good fit. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, you do. Then if um, an invest one of an advisor might um, identify a few different funds or you've heard, you know, one of your buddies is invested in, you know, a mutual fund. There's another tool on the investor.gov website called Fund Analyzer because part of um, what is relevant when you're making an investment decision in a fund are the fees and costs that you're going to be charged. So if you go into that system, you can put the name of the fund in there and then you'll see what the fees are and you can Compare by putting different funds in and you'll get a side by side comparison. If you put the same amount of money in these different funds after, say, 10 years, assuming each earn 5% per year right, right. with the cost, what are you going to end up with at the end? Right. And one of the beautiful things you got that a great website, investor.gov. One also, when you're looking at the funds, you can also see what kind of funds they are to be diversified, but then there's fees. So F, by the way, everybody, just so you know this, growth funds are funds that are doing certain things. Certain funds fees are higher than on other funds, but you can kind of see them and be able to get a good estimate and be able to walk through them. So it's good to know what the fees are, but also 
you should ask the financial advisor, what are the fees? Because just so you know, if you ever meet with a financial advisor, this, you should ask them this question. This question does not offend us financial advisors. It doesn't offend us. Is this, how do you get paid? Ask a financial advisor that. Because they can either be a fee-based, where they get a fee on the assets, they can be commissioned, or they can do what's called fee-only, where they charge hourly. So you want to talk to them. And then also, everything that she just said, also ask them, what products do you use? If they say, I only do insurance, and then you're, you know, then you want to find out what they utilize and then make sure that's with your goals and everything. Anything else for investors? You know, again, I just go back to like, do your research, do your homework, um, and don't rush into an investment. Look, we've learned so much information about, first of all, about about you. And then we've also learned about what the mission is, the SEC, and how it protects and how it helps investors and everything. Suppose somebody wants to get in the industry of serving in this manner. What are some things that are available to them or what should they do first? Yeah, so um, great question. And, you know, we're really committed to having, you know, a very diverse workforce. So, um, you know, there's sort of different parts to the question. What um, if someday somebody wanted to work at the SEC, like what kind of educational experience should one have? And it really, you know, often depends on the type of position you want. Like, for instance, we do hire a lot of attorneys. So obviously um, <laughs> going to law school um, is, you know, a requirement. Um, but we also have a lot of other professions um, and job opportunities. We have a lot of accountants. We have um, paralegals. We have economists. We have um, clerical-type positions. We have analyst positions. So it really runs the gamut, almost of like what you would find in um, any financial services industry, as well as any other um, regulator. So when we do have job openings, they're uh, posted on USA Jobs, which is the federal government's website. So if you are interested in different jobs, um, they're posted there, as well as we do outreach to a bunch of schools, colleges, um, law schools, accounting schools, job fairs. Um, so now that, you know, we've gotten to know Pastor George, when we have job postings, um, we can send them on to you for your job board. Right. We have actually a job board. So as you guys know, every Sunday I count jobs and we call it job check. We have a job and I want to make sure that you guys will make sure we get the information from me so we'll be able to post it, be able to put up as well. Because also, as you know, we have members of our church that work for the SEC and they, they came up and when, when, um, she came up to me, she said, Hey, we want to, I see your show and we want to be able to do this. And that's actually how, actually how this started is that, and you, you never know. And, and then they said, about having a diverse group is that, you know, most of the people that I've met, you have, is very diverse. Also, uh, women, from, there's a lot of, um, in, in everything that we've, we've met and everything. So it's a great opportunity. And me personally, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a, they call it honorary. You know, I'm like an honorary member because I, I, I call and I, and I, and I find information. I also look and be very vigilant. So everybody, we want to do that. But then also look at that, look at USA jobs, jobs, and let's look at that. But then there's also look at the opportunities for that and in doing it. So I think that that's really good. Um, is there also anything else you'd like to share with with our people or with the family from Set for Life 
and in um, that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, sure. So one thing is, um, please, if you have questions, if you've been approached about an investment, if you're uncertain, um, go on investor.gov. But we also have a toll-free number, which is 800-732-0330. And you can also contact the SEC at help at sec.gov. So um, if you call that number, a person will actually answer the phone really? and speak with you. And um, you can call local offices too, but a lot is centralized and that um, makes getting a return call sometimes a little bit easier. And there's other state and federal regulators too, if folks have questions. Um, but that does lead to a very related important point. Um, the SEC does not contact people and ask for their personal information, their financial information. So we've also, we didn't have time today, and I could go on, as I'm sure you can tell, on a lot of different scams, but we've had scams where people people impersonate impersonate SEC personnel, have used the SEC logo to claim that they're some related uh, agency. So again, um, some of it is pretty professional looking, and if you're not very familiar with the agency, you know, people did get fooled. So, again, um, it's just always important. If someone calls you claiming they're from the SEC, you should ask for their name and phone number and the general number of that office, and then you call back and make sure that person works there. Scamming, trying to run a scam on the SEC would be like going into a police station trying to rob them. I mean, like, that would be the last, I mean, that's not very well thought out um, in doing that. But so first of all, though, I want to thank you so much for coming. And I pray this was a blessing for you. One of the things we want to make sure that we covered today was number one is understand this. The SEC Securities Exchange Commission is here to help you. And they have not only a website, but they have so many resources that you can leverage that will help you. So I want to make sure that you utilize this. And then also I taught a series called Generational Wealth where I was talking about doing things. And you have to have a generational plan now for your security. The Meaning this, there used to be a time when people used to come up and rob you. But now it seems like it's all digital, like you're sending someone gift cards, you're doing this other type of thing. So I want to make sure that you have a plan to protect your family. So also make sure that you share this with your family and all that we do. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned so much information. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. Yes, it was a blessing. This is exactly what I wanted for us to do and for us to learn. So look at this. We learned, number one, how to leverage the SEC. It's, it's an organization that is here to help you and also protect you from any type of uh, scam and also that you can get to know things. And then also the protection they put in place also by all the things they do in area regulation. And it's really a, a blessing. Hey, look forward to seeing you on our next episode.